Well, a lot of people just decide that I'm Robert. It says a lot about a person when they change your name on your behalf. It makes me crazy. People, your name is Kate, though. You're not Kate isn't short for anything, is it? No, it is. Katie is my birth name, and a lot of people decide that they're going to call me Kate. Katie, even though I introduce myself as Kate, or they think they're being like cute. Every boyfriend I've ever had trouble with has called me Katie. So I'm like, well, there you go. It's it's the sign. Oh, hi. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky ones that got out and all of the good, bad and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I currently work or used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, Rob Collins. Rob Collins Esquire is the Miami-Dade County Education and Outreach Coordinator at Housing Opportunities Project for Excellence Incorporated, otherwise known as as Hope, a nonprofit that fights housing discrimination in Miami Dade and Broward counties. Rob has previously spent years living in Seattle, Washington, St. Louis, Missouri, and Oak Park, Illinois, where he's from. Hello, Illinois. I know we get a lot of listeners there. Rob, <laughs> Rob is a graduate of Washington University in St. Louis for undergrad and the University of Miami, better known as the U because they're very arrogant, in mm. Miami, Florida. <laughs> I better know Rob from him coaching me during a 24-hour dance marathon to raise money for kids or some shit I don't exactly remember when we were in college just a few years ago. <laughs> definitely not many, many years ago, but definitely very short amount of time ago when we were both in undergrad. Always tell the truth on this podcast. So... Rob, tell us, do you like practicing law? Do you love Florida? Do you miss coaching dance competitions? What tell us about tell us about you? Yes, yes, and yes. Aw. Okay, interview over. Uh, this was a great podcast. Yeah, that was, thanks, wow, thanks, Rob. That was easy. <laughs> so easy. I uh, know so yeah, Florida's a good time. I'm from I'm from Oak Park, which is right side of, right outside of Chicago. And it is very cold there right now. And I'm grateful. I like to be active outdoors. So I very much appreciate that I can be active outdoors right now here in Miami. So that is huge. If my daughter, I have a five-year-old daughter. And Hi, if she, decides, <laughs> if she decides to move back north, like in, and my wife and I are looking to retire or whatever, we will just be visiting. We will not be <laughs> moving closer because Florida is awesome. Not that Chicago isn't awesome. Chicago is quite awesome. But the weather is less awesome. So Yeah, I um, would not have been able to handle the winters there. What's the temperature there now and what's the temperature in Florida? Do you know? You know, it's crazy. I just got off the phone. We don't we don't talk about it. I I just got off the phone with my sister like a half hour ago and we did not talk about that because there's no point. It's just rubbing it in. It's like <laughs> your team wins a game and you say, So, how about that game, huh? Like so we don't we don't talk about the weather in the winter. But um you'll I mean people in the north will laugh at this. It is cold in Florida today. Uh like the coldest it's been in in uh since the spring because it was 60 degrees this morning. And I mean that's that's super cold here. Um, yeah. and a lot of people are super chilly right now. And that's just today. Yesterday it was like 75. Do you have the heat on in your office? No, we do not use heat. Um, oh. Yeah, we have an air conditioning on. Air conditioner on. Is that a is that a year round situation in Florida? Uh, yeah, most places don't run heat. Yeah, wow. Like if when it gets chillier, you know, by our standards, we'll just like sleep in sleeves and under blankets. But no one uses the heat here. No one turns on. You know, I have never walked into an establishment here and had it had it be warmer when I walked in because they're doing something. Like it might just be warmer because you're indoors. But no one, no one runs heat. That's that's a waste of money. Okay, aren't you glad you have these hard-hitting journalistic questions? Don't you feel really intimidated by me talking about the weather? This is the most exciting podcast you've ever been on. You're this welcome. Digging deep. <laughs> okay, you know I'm going for it. So we're gonna go a little bit backwards. So all right, so you were born in Oak Park, and then why? Sort of what got you to Seattle, where you spent some time? What got you to St. Louis, and why Florida? Like obviously you've said Florida weather is great, but give us the like timeline of at what point you were like, you know what, Oak Park. Chicago, we're done. I don't want to do this yeah. anymore. Sort yeah, of yeah. what got you where you went? So yeah, I went to Washington University in St. Louis and they recruit heavily in Chicago. So I actually only knew about the school because they work so hard. I mean, it's a it's a division three school. So I, you don't see their sports on TV or anything. So but they recruit heavily. And so they came to my high school and they 
talked and I was like, oh, this looks cool. I want to run track. I want to do graphic design. So I, I went to Wash U, Washington University in St. Louis. And at the end of my time there, I was like, oh, I want to see another place in the country. And then long story short, I settled on going to Seattle. And then three years later, I was like, I want, I'm going to, I knew then I want to go to law school. And then I was like, well, I want to keep seeing different parts of the country. And Miami was the part of the country I was had the least experience, was in the part of the country, I should say, uh, with which I had the least experience. So then I came down here to Miami. And in each case, when I left high school, when I left undergrad, and then when I entered law school, in each case, I felt like I really loved the place where I was, but I wanted to keep exploring. I wanted to see more. So I love Chicago. I love St. Louis. I love Seattle. But... I almost, I, 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 the way I talk about it, it's like I felt like it would be a betrayal to my upbringing and my opportunities to just stay there. Like I wanted to keep exploring. And so, so now I'm here and, uh, and then I hit warm weather and I'm like, fuck that betrayal shit. I'm staying, <laughs> I'm staying where I am. I Exploration am over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And did uh, you, did you actually, I didn't know this about you. Did you run track in college? I did, yeah. But I mean, it was Division Three, so... Who cares, Rob? That's awesome. <laughs> Wait, were you short distance or long distance? Uh, middle. So, yeah. Well, neither of the... I, was, I ran the 400, which is a quarter of a mile. Oh. So, like, um, short distance would be sprints, like 100 or 200. And then long distance is, you know, a mile or two miles. So, I did... I was in between, like, the 400 and the 800, a quarter mile and a half mile. Those are considered middle distances. And I ran... I, I threw the javelin also. That's so uh, random. Usually those are you. separate entities. Like usually... they are they are very different. And yeah. I um yeah. It was it was fun. I'm unbelievably grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, what how what was your fastest 400 or is that like asking someone how much money they make? Like is that a rude question? That's, I mean, it depends it depends on the person. In, okay. in each case, you know, like some people will openly tell you how much money they make <laughs> and other people will openly tell you what their track times are. I my fastest 400 was 51 point something holy shit oh you're too kind no i'm not that's crazy i mean it's faster than like the average maybe the average person walking down the street but i mean like really fast high schoolers are six a good six seconds faster than that like if they're really really good in high school so then if they're really good in college they're much faster than that um, but, um, well, I'm, I'm Rob folks, you're going to learn Rob doesn't take too kindly to compliments, even though he's <laughs> deserving of all of them and is a wonderfully amazing person who I've known for a long time and deeply respect, but whatever, all that aside, that's crazy fast. And I could not do that. I couldn't do that. Well, not peak. With that attitude. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Rob. <laughs> You're right. Okay. So settled in Florida. And so now you are, and we'll get into a little bit more of this in the next section, but you work for Hope right now doing um, uh, combating housing discrimination, which who knew that's just a full-time job as if people are, you know, discriminating against people regularly. That's so, who knew that happens? Imagine. That, yeah. Imagine. Um, so what got you into, because a lot of lawyers make the choice of going into corporate law and then they get into the golden handcuffs and they work 20 of 24 hours of each day and they make a ton of money but a lot of them are deeply unhappy not all of them but what made you choose you know regardless of student loan debt and all of the things that make corporate law appealing what made you say not for me I want to go into helping human beings well I got uh, I got extremely lucky that I attended undergrad and law school on scholarship and um, I got I got very very lucky and so that was not a a decision that I had to really face, um, and I personally know several people whose I they 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 were going to do public interest law, but as a direct result of having loans, they didn't. Direct result, and they'll tell you straight up. And um, I will never know how lucky I am that I didn't have to make that choice because I, you know, I, li- I like volunteering, I like public service. And I've been able to, I've been able to just roll with that and just do public service as I wanted to and not had to think about, am I making enough money? Um, so I, like I said, I, I'll never know how fortunate I am not to have made that choice because a lot of people who are far more virtuous than I am have had, have faced that and they, they say, well, 
I, you know, I want to help, but I just can't. I can't put food on the table and do this work. And so I'm, I'm not going to do this work. Um, luckily, there's this loan forgiveness program um, where you do a certain amount of hours, a certain amount of years, I'm sorry, of public service, either government or nonprofits, and then the government repays your loan. And that's what my wife is doing. Um, you may, for the listeners, I, I may call her Miss Lewis. That's my wife. Just just know that's who I'm talking about. Uh, so Miss Lewis, she's a public service attorney. She has to pay law school loans. But because of this program, she is likely to not have to repay all of the loans. Like the loan, loans will be forgiven because of her public service. And that program is for her and for our family the avenue that she didn't have when she didn't get a scholarship. So I know some people, a lot of people are taking advantage of that. And that's great. And that's government making it so that people don't have to face that, face that decision. Like, oh, am I going to help people or am I going to be able to survive? And uh, I, I'm really grateful for that program for our family, certainly, but also just because of what that means for all of these people who are taking advantage of it. I'm sure tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in the country who will do service because they can afford to. So for me, it was, it was all luck, but um, I know there are programs out there that make it so that people don't have to worry about helping people versus making money. Well, and I'm just going to brush past the fact that you work really hard and you're incredibly intelligent. So it probably wasn't all luck, but whatever, we're going to move past that. I, you know, it's interesting, whilst this is a comedy podcast, you are making my brain do backflips because I'm thinking this is part of the economic distinction cog of, you know, someone brilliant like yourself and brilliant like Aaron, Miss Lewis, you know, wouldn't have been afforded the opportunity to help people if not for this very new government program. And in helping people as very intelligent humans, you can extend the hand to people who are economically disadvantaged, who might then be able to find a place to live, live somewhere or whatever the sort of help you provide as a lawyer and then better their lives. Because if people like your other friends, who I'm sure are also equally intelligent and lovely humans, because they are, they are forced to go into corporate law, then they don't get to reach the hand down and help other people who are economically disadvantaged. And therefore that cycle continues and then their brilliance and their sort of benevolence goes into the corporate world, which already has enough of those things, maybe not enough benevolence, but definitely has enough brilliance. And it's just an interesting way that the cogs remain the way that they are and sort of how we are set up as a society to just keep people in their the cast is what I would call it, the cast that they are in. It's just interesting. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how at liberty I am to interrupt you while you're talking. Anytime you want to. I know you're in charge and I don't want to be asked to leave. You will be asked to leave at some point if you don't accept one <laughs> fucking compliment, but go ahead. Not yet. <laughs> but, uh, but while you were talking, I mean, it really, I'm going to be honest, like this is my day to day. Like this is normal for me and not because I'm great. It's because this is normal. Like I wake up and I do the same job every day and I'm, I'm very grateful to be here. But I, because it's my day to day, like I forget about what you're saying. Like I forget about, okay, here I am telling people about their rights and telling people what housing discrimination looks like or whatever. But then those people may turn and tell somebody else or, you know, those people may be helped in their situation. And honestly, I forget about that. I forget about that ripple because I just, I come to work every day. I do my job, then I go home. Then I come back the next day, then I go home. And like, I, I appreciate um, that this conversation is helping me slow down and like smell the flowers and be like, shit, like, Whoever you spoke to, my job is outreach. So I talk to people and who knows, like one of those 10 or 35 people that I talked to today, just giving a presentation, they may not have responded to me, but who knows the ripple effects of that. So I really appreciate this conversation and helping me yeah, take a step back and, and look at what I do. Well, I think it often is helpful to have someone who is outside of it, who, I mean, I have a deep appreciation for just law in general, tons of lawyers in my family and just understanding how complex that is. And I have family members that work in very deeply disturbing, intense cases for, you know, on the federal side. And 
So it is, I have been sort of bathing in it and paying attention to it because it's so fascinating to think people do work I literally could never do. I wouldn't have the energy to do the type of work that you and, and Miss Lewis do. Like I just, and God bless you for doing it. And so can you explain just so that well, I understand, because I don't actually know your what your day looks like. You say a lot of your job is outreach. So how do you use your law degree in your job? And what does a, you know, what does a typical work week look like for you doing the type of work that you do? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you can call her Aaron, by the way. Okay, that's, I didn't, because I call her Aaron, but I didn't know what the... No, no, yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll know who you're talking about. Okay, good. Uh, a lot of people are, are in that situation where they're like, what do I call her? Because I know he calls her Miss... But no, please... Call her whatever you want. Oh, no, this is being recorded, though. Taya's mom. Um, I'm going to just call her Taya's mom because women lose our whole mom. identity once we have kids. So it's yeah, I'm kidding. Right. Keep going. But they say, yeah. So yeah. I am in a typical week, even since the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I in a typical week, I will and I work. I'll work Sunday through Saturday if, if that happens um, because I give presentations to people. So in seven in a seven day stretch. Maybe someone has asked me to present to some home buyers or a community group or mm, what's another thing I've been a part of, like a parents group. In fact, I will be speaking to a parents group tonight. And so I just come on and now during the pandemic, it's all online. I come on and I talk for 10, 15 minutes about about what housing discrimination looks like, what is actually illegal and what people can do about it. And uh, at the end of it, people can ask me questions, whatever. And then I kind of peace out. And a lot of times the meeting continues on. Like I, I piggyback on other people hosting events. They pull the people together. I come, I parachute in and I do a little talk and then I'm gone. There are some times where I am the entire reason that people meet, but that's usually for a staff. Like that's usually either a nonprofit staff or or housing provider staff, like a condo association, homeowners association, property manager, a group of realtors, where they have actually convened just to talk about the, the topic of, of housing discrimination. But usually it's people who are, long story short, getting together for some other reason. And then I come in and I talk and then that's it. When I say, by the way, that I work seven days a week, that's not I don't mean that I work like I'm always working all the time. I mean, these events where people have these meetings can happen anytime, especially now that things are virtual. I really make myself available and I say, hey, it's whatever. Like if, if your staff meets on Saturdays or if you are having this homebuyers workshop or your community event on a Sunday afternoon, I'm there. Like, please count me in. But the place where I work, our bosses are real awesome. We work 80 hours every two weeks, period. So if I work on a Saturday... If I work in an evening, like I take that time off during the week some other time. So so when I, I have to make sure it's clear, like I say I work, I can work any of the seven days of the week, but I'm not working more than 80 hours every two weeks because um, our bosses really take care of us and, and nonprofit burnout is real. So I literally just wrote, <laughs> ask him to go deeper into nonprofit and how he transitioned to that. We're going to get in that in a second because I do want right. to talk about the burnout from that. Who is so I just want to go back to the procedural part of your job. So who is the someone that you reference that approaches you to be part of fill in the blank meeting or be the pr presentation on, you know, housing discrimination to a parents group? Like, how do these people find out about you? How do they and who are these people that know to approach you as the outreach coordinator? And how are they made aware of hope? Good question. Yeah, like the majority of our presentations are to community partners that we already have in place. So there are nonprofits here in Miami, well, around the country, maybe around the world, but at least around the country that do housing stuff. And so they'll serve clients with housing counseling and credit and um, helping people be educated about title and inspection and, and all these other things. And one of the, and a lot of them, uh, I was going to say one of the things they usually want to touch on is, is discrimination when it happens. But a lot of them get grants from the government, from HUD usually, from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, but also maybe from their state government or local government. And a lot of that money actually, incidentally, comes from HUD anyway. But they get grants, a lot of these nonprofits, to operate. And in getting the grants, they say, oh, when we do our work, we'll cover housing discrimination. And we'll even bring in a lawyer who works in that field. 
so it's it's a symbiosis. Like if it weren't for them, I wouldn't have an audience most of the time. But if it weren't for me, that's one less thing, one fewer thing, I suppose. One fewer thing they'd be able to put in their grant application. Like, oh, so what are you going to cover? Like when they're applying for the money and HUD asks them, what are you going to cover in these classes that you want to have? Housing discrimination and, and fair housing is one more thing that they can say that they'll they'll cover. And then they say, hey, Rob, can you cover it? And then they, you know, so it's a symbiosis. But I, I think they... I need them way more than they need me because even in my absence, they could talk about the Fair Housing Act, but it, it makes them look good, you know, just being real. Like it makes them look good to bring in an outside entity that only works in fair housing all day, every day. And sorry, I realized I didn't answer one of your earlier, earlier questions about what, um, how does being a lawyer come into play? And the truth is that having a bar license is not necessary for my position, but... In fact, I actually had this job before I was a lawyer. I had this exact same position, but I just love it so much. But like when I'm talking, two things. One, people will ask questions that I really only know because I went to law school. Uh, like, the, oh, uh, what, what are damages? Um, what, uh, you know, what's the statute of limitations? Like these like technical questions that I actually only know because I'm a lawyer. But on a more basic level, and this is interesting, people can't see me because this is a podcast, but... I am a black guy and what? When I shave. Wait, wait, what? Get out. <laughs> Just kidding. When I, and when I shave, I look young. Uh, you do. And people see a young, you know, obviously before the pandemic, people see a young black person and this is just real talk. They'll say, ah, whatever, you know, whatever. Oh, that's nice. I'm sure that's nice. But then when they hear I'm a lawyer, I can say the exact same stuff and they are, they are all ears all of a sudden. And it's not... And it's not non-black people. It's all people have, you know, and I, it's real. And I'm, I'm not just saying, oh, I'm a young black man. I'm a victim. Like, I'm not just saying that. People come up to me at events and they'll say, oh, you're a lawyer. You don't look like a lawyer. And only it was, it's, only, it's only recently that I that someone else told me you should say, what does a lawyer look like? And so then I, I started doing that. And obviously, this is all pre-pandemic when we were face-to-face. And I said, oh, what does a lawyer look like? And then it's funny, you know, different people have different reactions. But some of them, they, they catch themselves and they, you can tell they feel a little embarrassed that they said, I don't look like a lawyer. And, they just, and they'll just say something uh, kind of um, to get it to go away, to make it look like they didn't ask that question in the first place. They'll be like, oh, uh, you know, uh, like an old white guy, huh? you know, try to like laugh it off or something. But But it's funny. It's funny because... They are, they're poking holes at that stereotype, not realizing that, you know, a good 20 seconds earlier, they were completely operating under that stereotype. Come on. It's, 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 a, it's an interesting thing. And I am, not, I am not in the business of embarrassing people when they, but, but they should know that when they come up to me and say something like that, that that's going to, you know, hey, what, what, well, what are you trying to say? And, and so they should be. They should be a little more cognizant, not only of how they come across, but of what they think. Because before they said that to me, they thought it. No which question. Is the, you know, that's the real nugget. Like, you, you carry yourself however you carry yourself. But what you need to do is really check yourself about your own prejudices on the inside. And I will, before I, I know I'm just talking a bunch, but bef- before I hand it back over to you, I want to say I am extremely prejudiced. And I am extremely racist because all of us are. Because we all are. But I, and as someone who works in a place that fights discrimination, I can openly say, and all people should be able to say this about themselves, that they, they have prejudices. I fight discrimination every day. I am super prejudiced. I completely size up situations without really knowing anything. I, we all do. And I think too many people are afraid to say that. So then, as a result, too many people are not even in a place where they can work on it. Mm. Such a, I mean, there's a million nuggets in that that are fantastic that I don't even know which one to dissect first. Um, how pervasive actually is housing discrimination? Because I think it's something that, you know, much. I mean, no, I'm sorry. I mean, but go ahead. No, 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 no go ahead. It's I mean, it's it is it is life for some people. Like, what does that mean? If, if you if you. It's one of those things where, like, if somebody says how big a deal is, and I, I'm not, like, mocking your question. I'm just saying if somebody says how big a deal or how, how big is our fraternities in college, like, if you're in a fraternity and that's what you make your life, then it's going to be enormous. So some people want to think that housing discrimination 
is not a big deal and it doesn't happen. But that's that's a very people will say that from a position of privilege, because the truth is, depending on the situation, it may be when I say it's life for people, I mean, like some people are facing it nonstop. And then other people are perpetrating it nonstop. Like some people will run their apartment building or their condo or whatever with discrimination at the forefront. Uh, Kind of the same way, you know, and sadly, like maybe somebody brings a new romantic partner home and they know, oh, gosh, my parents are going to say X, Y, Z about this person just because of their demographics. Some places are run like that. Uh, Some housing places are run like that. So it's it's not it's not pervasive in the sense like that there's no hope or whatever, but it's definitely pervasive in that there are places where it is has been the way it is and and despite the laws, it just continues to be that way. And like people with mental or physical challenges can assume, so now that I was just talking about the people who do the discrimination, the people who face the discrimination, I mean, it's if you're on Section 8, if you have kids, there are laws in certain places that say that you can't do that. In, at the national level, it's illegal to discriminate against people for having a mental or physical challenge. But re, re, regardless of that, regardless of that illegality people are if you have a mental or physical challenge you can assume that half of the places that you would look at are going to treat you differently uh, because of that so like if you find 10 places that you like you can assume off the bat that five of them will treat you differently and then some will say no you can't live here some will just charge you more and you wouldn't necessarily know that unless you do testing, which is what we do as an organization, like these investigations where we send out people who pretend like they want to live somewhere. But you can assume, just imagine, like you're looking at four, just five, you found four places. You can cross two of them off your list because of how the, how you'll be treated. Like it's, it's unbelievable. So to answer your question about pervasive, like it's, it is super pervasive. It is, unfortunately. I want to go a little deeper. So if you're comfortable telling the story, I don't know if you're able to identify who the person was, but you told me a story on the phone of sending someone into uh, like you had had a building that had that had been accused of discrimination and a, a genuine person that really did want to rent who raised this to your attention had stated, I believe that I'm being discriminated against because I when I called, they said that there were apartments available when I arrived, there weren't. And it sort of seems, you know, like someone would script this in a movie. And I don't think that people actually understand that this is happening today. And so if you could just, could you paint that story of, uh, you don't have to say who, if that is a something to protect with your organization, but the person that you then sent, who it was, is a Caucasian female got a different answer. Can you tell us that story? Yeah. So as a, uh, the way that we do our investigations and it's not unique to us, this is industry wide. We send out essentially so people can wrap their head around it. Like we send out like secret shoppers people who pretend like they want to live somewhere and we we see and there they'll be of different demographics some of them will be white people some will be women some will say they have kids whatever it is we're looking for and we and we send these people um with the same rental history i mean depend depending on what what it is we're looking for but we'll send people with the same rental history the same debt to income ratio the same income maybe even the same job same credit score uh it depends on what we're looking for and how we're doing it but just to paint the picture, we'll send people and we tell them what to say so that the only difference between them is that one thing that we are investigating. So uh, we send people who are of the same race. Sorry, Rob, let me just stop you. So the sure. what is that one, when you say uh, to investigate that one thing? Yeah. What, what, what does that mean? Yeah. So every investigation we do, thank you for breaking it down for clarity. Yeah. Um, the investigations will, will be centered on race. The one thing may be race. The one thing may be gender. The one thing may be whether or not you have children. These things, these illegal criteria for treating somebody different, they are called protected classes. And um, so there are a bunch of protected classes. Uh, At the federal level, there are seven. Race, color, national origin, religion, having children, your your mental or physical challenge, and race, color, national origin, religion, gender, mental or physical challenge. I don't know. Is that all? No, that's that's stuff. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> Those are the seven. Yeah, race, color, national origin, religion. 
gender, mental or physical challenge, and having children. Yeah, those are yeah, those are the seven at the federal level. So we will investigate along those lines. Well, sorry. So those are the federal ones. They cover you anywhere you are in the country. But then different localities, states, cities, counties, um, have made more. You might have heard that, oh, that, that sounds like a pretty limited list. Um, those are just the federal ones. At, at a more local level, you may also be protected, may also be protected because of your sexual orientation, your age, your marital status. Uh, there's a number of things. So we will investigate and we'll say, oh, okay, we want to see, are women being kept out here? So, so in, in a test, the one thing in that test would be gender. So we'll send people of similar demographics, but the one thing different among the people we send is that we, we are sending half women and half men because we want to see, you know, what's happening. Is there, is there something happening to all the women and something happening to all the men? In a different case, we might be testing for race. The one thing might be race. So we'll send people to different demographics, but we want to make sure we're sending half Hispanic, half Asian, or or maybe it's whether or not you have kids. So the, the people are a variety of people, but we want to make sure we're sending half with kids and half without so that we can show a pattern. Because when we bring our cases and we think discrimination is happening, the, the party being accused of discrimination almost invariably says, oh, it didn't happen, or, oh, it was a misunderstanding, you misconstrued what I was saying to you. So then we, we, we have to establish a pattern of, okay, you're saying it was a misunderstanding, fine, but that misunderstanding, quote-unquote, is only happening when it's a woman, or it's only happening when it's a gay person. Then, oh, then there's this misunderstanding. So we can establish that pattern, like whatever you want to call it, discrimination, misunderstanding, never really happened. There's only an issue at all when it's this person of this demographic. And so we can establish this pattern for a judge or a jury. Ultimately, that's what that's what it comes down to. We're going to show that a judge or jury that what you're calling a misunderstanding is only happening when the person is black. Can you uh, just from a legal thing, because I think this is fascinating. What is the actual definition of establishing a pattern? How many have to happen to be a pattern? Great question. Thanks, Rob. It's not my first time. <laughs> the answer is it's up to the judge or jury. Get out of here. And I didn't that, know that. That is the real answer because you, there may be a situation where only seven people went, but they really went like in real life, like not a test, not an investigation like us, just seven people who went. They don't have to have three more people go so that there's 10 of them. You know, they can just say, hey, we went and then our friends went. And we got totally different answers from each other about what's available or how much it costs or when we can move in. And the only difference between us is they told the Jewish people this and they told everybody else this. So it, there is no magic number because the circumstances may present themselves however they're going to present themselves. And so the law doesn't draw a line because that, that, Sorry, that wouldn't mine. be fair to the people who come to the table with a real case, oh, now you arbitrarily have to have brought, there, there arbitrarily there has to be 10 of you. So the law doesn't make it, so there's a magic number. It's just whether the judge or jury is convinced, yeah, you're right, this, this is happening certainly along these lines. Sorry, just a second. No, it's okay. Um, I'm jumping in because these are notes I should have given up top as programming, but as my audience is used to, I forget to do these programming notes and then I add them in later. Um, Rob is working in real time from his office in Miami-Dade County uh, doing the job that he is currently describing that is constant. And as you can tell from the phone ringing, we're being very authentic. And he is actually in Florida. I am in Ohio. Um, This is via Zoom. It sounds like it's via Zoom. You folks have been very patient with me with this time and history that we are in and you've been patient with the podcast with the sound issues and whatnot so the phone may continue to ring because turns out to prove rob's point housing discrimination is pervasive so the phone may ring um i want to go really quickly and then i promise we'll move on i just find your job so fascinating how often do these things actually go to trial because you mentioned judges and juries so how often are you actually in the courtroom or does does this actually see the light of day or do most places settle Great question. Yeah, we. Uh, sorry, it's it's my habit to say great question. Um, are you uh, kidding? My <laughs> ego is loving it. Go ahead, Rob. <laughs> Your questions are great. I don't mean to be annoying Thanks. by repeating that. No, it's not annoying at all. <laughs> um, we, I would say, we as an organization. So there's eight of us. 
in the whole organization, we probably bring an average, really an average of a complaint or a lawsuit. So a complaint would be like an administrative complaint. You know, this is this is inside baseball kind of talk. We might make an administrative complaint to HUD, which is, as far as people need to know, it's the same as a lawsuit. We are telling the government, either a court or the executive branch, we're telling somebody that discrimination is happening and that people that the government needs to intervene. Uh, we bring a complaint or a lawsuit probably on average once a month. Um, because shit. a lot of the people who call us, it doesn't get to a lawsuit. A lot of the people will call us and we get, I mean, the phone rings. I mean, the phone rings here 20 times a day, 20 times. Yeah. Average, average 20 um, and maybe average 25. Um, so it's ringing all day. But a lot of the people who we get who call us, they'll say, hey, I'm facing discrimination. And then we, you know, we look into it and they are facing discrimination. We bring it to the attention of that entity that's doing the discrimination. We say, hey, you can't do that. Because our goal here is that people can live where they want within the law, you know, like where they qualify for it. Now, if you can't afford to pay for it, that's not illegal for them to say no. But, you know, if, if you're being kept out because of your demographics, that's something else. So we want people to not have to worry about their demographics. That doesn't mean we want to file a bunch of lawsuits. That's actually filing a lawsuit stands in the way of that because now it's, even, it's an even longer process. So we'll call that place and we'll say, hey, you know, no bullshit. Like, you stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> you're being watched. And they'll say, oh, oh, sorry about that. Oh, it was a misunderstanding. And then they push the paperwork through or whatever. So a lot of the, a lot of the majority, in fact, the vast majority of our calls don't result in lawsuits. That's one reason is because even if there is a, a problem, the person doing the discriminating never, you know, they, 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 going to a lawsuit is their last straw. They don't want that. They don't want press out that they are being sued. So actually, they, they another part of, we've been around since 1988, and in 32 years, we've actually never gone to trial once. And for the benefit of people who may not know, trial is, you know, objection and witnesses and, and in front of the judge like that. We are all of our cases and we've gotten over 12 million dollars in settlements. It's all you know, not me, but uh, my my colleagues and uh, our, my predecessors, they the cases settle all 12 million of those dollars are from settlements. And it's along the same line of thinking. We, we bring the case. They say you didn't do it. And then as a result of those investigations that I was just talking about, well, you, you say you didn't do it, but here's who here's who we sent. Here's who they talked to. Here's the date and time. Here's what was said to them. And then in the face of that evidence, because we don't bring our lawsuits for nothing, in the face of that evidence, they say, okay, maybe we did it. And then they <laughs> settle the case because they don't want they don't want the press. They don't want to just throw money at lawyers on their side who when they know they're just going to lose because we have the evidence. Um, so most of the time, every time we settle, but a lot of times, a lot of the callers that come with real complaints, it's, it is handled completely outside of court before we ever even file a lawsuit because that other entity doesn't want to get in trouble. At, at very least, they don't want to be caught. And mm -hmm. then beyond that, they definitely don't want to go to a, a court trial sure. or anything like this. So they, they don't want to be in that position. So trial to answer your question the way you asked it maybe once a month on average some months more some months we don't file anything but that is not because it's not happening it's because the people don't want to go to court they got got so they're like oops sorry yeah. okay yeah. i want to uh, just go a little bit so you and i have discussed on the phone i'm making up this phrase rob has not said this i'm saying this uh discrimination by neglect essentially so say these people fight to get into this you know development or this apartment building or whatever and the manager uh with his or her own issues and prejudices or whatever is made aware of the fact that this family pushed to get there and maybe they have a physical limitation that required a ramp to be added to the apartment building or whatever. There was something that the management had to change and they want to push this family out. How often do you have things brought to your attention that are, look, I'm still paying the rent and I'm still allowed to live here, but I've had a leaky sink for six months and I now have mold by the in the bathroom that I've had for two months and you know they keep saying they're gonna get to it they're gonna get to it how often does stuff like that happen oh that's uh that's probably half of the call like the total calls we get 
most of them are like uh, half of them are like that where the person will say like it's actually not because of who i am it's not my demographics it's just that this is a, a shitty landlord this is it's so much fun being able to swear. Usually when I do these <laughs> interviews for work, it's a, there's no way I would swear. Go would fucking crazy, for... Rob. Lose your fucking mind. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so these motherfucking landlords. <laughs> so, so these landlords, they, um, it, I mean, it happens, it happens all the time. And we, we have some community partners that we work with who are more landlord-tenant lawyers. So we are discrimination. They'll be more landlord-tenant. And so it doesn't, their work doesn't really matter the demographics of the parties involved, where our work, that's what it hinges on. Um, and so they'll, they'll throw work to us when it's discrimination. Like it, it is actually completely hinges on the demographics of the people. They throw that to us. When it's just a landlord being a bad landlord, we throw that to them. But those two things can, uh, it can intersect if a landlord, and this happens, where a landlord is choosing to repair some people's stuff and not other people's um and they choose uh, i'm not going to fix the black people's stuff or i'm going to take longer to deal with the hispanic people's stuff uh that is discrimination and i'm glad we're, we're talking about this topic because discrimination doesn't just mean you were told no you can't move in it could be you were charged more or you get your services differently or you were told to live in a certain neighborhood or even just a certain part of the complex because you have kids or uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, just any, any treatment because of what I called earlier the protected classes, any treatment, no matter how it plays out, maybe even, maybe even they, they just aren't giving certain people their security deposits back. Just because they were told you could move in doesn't mean that anything goes at that point. Um, and, and we, the one way that it really plays out to really spell it out is sexual harassment where you are you're allowed to move in and you get your services but it comes with a lot of comments about you and and the, just to talk real usually it's male landlords and female tenants i mean that it could happen in any direction but that's usually how how it, how we see it mostly and that is gender discrimination because the whole idea of discrimination is would you get treated the same way if you were a different person so if your landlord is just a slumlord and they couldn't care less what color you are, then that's just a slum. That's not discrimination. They are just a bad landlord, and maybe they're not doing their job, depending on the severity of the situation. It could be illegal, but not discriminatory. They don't care who you are. They're just a bad landlord. But sexual harassment is different. So there you have it. So that, that's how it plays out. Um, it, it depends on the situation. It's very, you know, as with most things in the law, it's very situation specific but yeah and that's not i mean even the sexual harassment piece is not something i would have thought of now i'm gonna be devil's advocate so i'm a landlord mm. and i have had say the last three people i rented to all had kids and then for the next year, I was constantly dealing with other tenants complaining. The kids are running around all the time. They're loud at all hours. They're, you know, up at five in the morning and we have to hear them all the time. It's interrupting my my quality of life. And the landlord who also owns the building, say the manager, the owner, same person, says, you know what, I can't, the, the headache that this has created for me and say that, per, say the landlord, you know, went to the families and said, listen, we have to be reasonable. There have to be quiet hours. You're in violation of those. And say that landlord documents everything and has shown a pattern of having an issue with families with children. Would you, as you know, because you would be dealing with the discrimination side of things and he, he or she is not necessarily a slumlord, but has established a pattern of, I just don't want to deal with this headache do it is is it within the rights of the owner slash manager of the building to say this has created an untenable environment therefore i don't want to rent to families anymore or is it a too bad so sad if families want to rent you still have to rent to them i mean the answer is too bad so sad but okay. that that position is 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 sympathetic you can and, and it's very logical and i'm glad i appreciate the way you laid that out it's extremely logical. It's extremely logical how you come to feel that way. If and, and this goes for everything. If you've been mugged and been mugged five times and it always looked like the same kind of person, whenever you see that kind of person, you naturally, you cannot help but associate it. 
So it's it's a very natural and understandable and sympathetic position. But the the only the problem with it is is that you end up penalizing future people for what other people have done just because they look the same or and that's just that ends up just not being fair. Um, and then but really at the end of the day, regardless of whether you think it's fair or not, like we tell we tell housing providers all the time, regardless of whether you think it's fair or whatever, it's the law. It's, I mean, that's, that's, and that's, that makes our answer very simple. Like, it's just the law. And so while it's understandable that you're in that situation, it's just the law. And so the solution, so a landlord says, well, then I'm just asked out. Like, what can I do then? The answer is you make, if you have problems, like using that example, if you have a problem with noise, instead of making your, your rules in your building, which you are certainly free to make and free to enforce, instead of making your rules about you have to make your rules about the people uh, about the problem itself and not the people that you associate with that problem so if the if the problem is noise make your rule about noise don't make your rule about who you associate with noise and that, that and that's like i said that association i mean it's prejudice but it's understandable it comes from experience so we're not hating on that like we we can't we're not going to pretend like you have to become a, this robot who doesn't see color, doesn't see whether someone has kids. Like, that's not realistic. But if the problem is, like, you know, you just ask somebody. You just you just talk it out with that landlord in your example. You talk it out. Say, well, what is the problem with kids? They say, well, they're noisy. They write on the walls. They, you know, they break things. Then you make your rules about noise, vandalism, and breaking shit. You know, make your rules about that and then still then you can do your job. You can get what you need to get. I don't want noise. I don't want vandalism. I don't want stuff getting broken. But then the other side gets what they get, which is freedom and not being held accountable for what happened because of somebody else who looks like them. Um, and then, we, you know, this isn't even getting And I, I really appreciate this example because a lot of these rules are really based on prejudice from, like, just the media, like life, like, you know, not even like, like not even real experience, just things they've heard about or read about in books that, uh, you know, who, this kind of person is loud, this kind of, this, this is a real example of what a person could really have dealt with, with real people, not just their assumptions, real people, and then they're just making a link. I think that is, um, that person is a lot more sympathetic than someone who just gets their prejudice because they just, oh yeah, I grew up without this ex people in my life and I have just heard enough and I just don't want to have to deal with that. Like that's, it's harder to sympathize with that because you're just, you're not even trying. But if you've really, in this example, if you've really dealt with it, yeah, I see where you're coming from. Well, and that's kind of why I brought it up because I think that this, I, I think it's, it's, it's very easy in our own lives to say a blanket statement like discrimination is terrible. Racism is terrible. Like, of course, yeah. But I think that there is some nuance in a conversation that we should all be having with ourselves where, I mean, you opened with, I'm racist, I'm, you know, I'm, I have prejudice, as we all do. And I think it's very easy to sit in an ivory tower and think, well, I, I'm not that, though. I'm not. I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so, I'm so woke. I'm so, I'm so fill in the blank. That yeah, yeah. I think that 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 undermines the work that can actually get done if we all sit in our own bodies and our own minds and think, where are ways or where are examples where I myself have acted out of this prejudice or, you know, racism or, or where have I benefited from, you know, the privilege of having the color of skin I have or the gender I have or the sexual orientation I have? And where have I overlooked places where that hasn't existed? And sure, that's asking someone to do a deep dive. But I wanted to bring up this example because it's it's there are nuances where we really have to look at how can I let my lived experience inform change. And in the, I think you said it perfectly where you said, make the rule be about the problem, not the person. If noise is the issue, it's not all parents that are going to rent from you in the future are going to create an untenable environment. It is you haven't done a good enough job articulating the boundaries for your building around noise and you haven't done a good enough job, you know, documenting those, making sure there's a paper trail and therefore going through the process. And you're to your point, you're allowed to be frustrated at, you know, children being loud all night and you're allowed to be frustrated that your your other tenants are constantly bringing it up. Of course, that is frustrating. 
But I also think as humans, we need to look at accepting what is on our side of the street. It's like you chose to own a building though. And the That's massive right. benefits oh that you, you don't know how often we have to tell people that when they say it's my property, why can't I do this and that? And first the answer, there's two answers. One, first of all, we tried that and we, you know, we tried letting people do what they want to do. And there were still crises of discrimination for various reasons. So we tried that and it didn't work. Sorry. And the other answer is that's the cost of doing build business. business Just yes. like you said, nobody's making you own a building. Correct. You want to own a building? There are rules that come with doing that. Right. Sorry. That's well, the cost of doing business. It's also profiling people that come into a store and saying, well, only people that look this particular way steal from me. And it's like, no, those happen to be the people that you may have caught. But P.S., <laughs> if you're going to go after everybody that potentially steals from you, shut your business because right. you're going to be stolen from regardless of the demo. I mean, yes, I guess there's a propensity for more and whatever. I just yeah, the cost of doing business piece, I think we as human beings have a really difficult time. I'll speak for myself. I have a hard time being an acceptance of the the yin and the yang piece. I want it all to be just uh, absolutes of good and things are always fair and always even. And I don't want to deal with the reality of human beings interacting with one another, which is complicated and nuanced and gray. And I think that that's a, that's a difficulty with housing discrimination because I think a lot of people hear that, myself included, and think, oh, you are a person of color, therefore I am not renting to you. And I, and I, I hope people understand if only it were that simple, that would be way easier to prosecute. That would be way easier to go after and just say, yeah, yeah this is this is tangible, very real evidence. But when it's smaller sort of offshoot things of sexual harassment or, you know, discrimination by neglect or little pieces where it's like, oh, no, this is a far more complex issue than you, person of color, cannot rent this apartment. So yep. anyway. Enough soapboxing. I just love what you do, and I think it's very fascinating. So, folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps. That was all apps. You know, we just, you got to know a lot of things. This is probably going to be a two-part episode because Rob is very interesting. Let that compliment slide. Don't, don't negate it. We're going on to the entrees after a quick break. Rob doesn't get to negate it. <laughs> <laughs> 